Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Crypto.com, Bitstamp, and Nexo.io, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Sunday, August 16th, which means it's time for Long Reads Sunday. And for this article, I got to tee it up a little bit. So about a week ago, Dave Portnoy, aka El Presidente, aka the founder of Barstool Sports, aka the head of Davy Day Trader Global Global, invited the Winklevoss brothers to come explain Bitcoin to him and said that if he did, he would hear it and he would probably get involved. Well, that happened. And yesterday they released the nine and a half minute video or so about their conversation. One part of that conversation had to do with gold and why Bitcoin was better than gold. And the specific argument that came up was asteroid mining. And the idea that Elon is going to go mine gold from asteroids, meaning that the supply on Earth would be rendered irrelevant, and it would crater the price. Let's listen to the clip so you guys have that context. Yeah, and Elon Musk might, you know, push it and all of a sudden... Right. We're like buddies. He's going to run for president. Yeah. Maybe you guys will push it and um, I'll become Bitcoin billionaires on the Dave coin. (laughs) Yeah, and if he mines all the gold and the asteroids... Above Earth, then all of a sudden gold is that like a real statement? Yeah, I think he will. Um, in like the next, so all of a sudden, wait, what? He's gonna mine all the gold. So there's billions of dollars of gold floating on asteroids around this planet, and Elon's gonna get up there and start mining gold, and then it's gonna thank you. Hear this fall from the sky (laughs) and be as plentiful as sand. Um, I don't know if you're serious. No, no, we're totally serious. Yeah, that's why gold is a problem because the supply isn't fixed like Bitcoin. But so when people say, Gold or Bitcoin, like that's that's yeah, gold's for boomers who don't understand that. But Bitcoin, Elon can't change the supply of Bitcoin. It's the only fixed asset in the galaxy. Are you guys crazy? I feel, <laughs> I feel like I'm losing my mind talking and, about and, this. And the thing is, the dollar is is turning into toilet paper. So if I, get that, I get there, that. I get like, that. Like, what is your option? You have you have to have a hard asset, hard money, and it's either gold or Bitcoin. But Elon Musk is going to destroy gold. You, you have to, I don't like, I mean, the things you're saying from someone who's like, I always thought I had a big brain, but I mean, you guys, I thought half the things you're saying to me almost seem like a joke, like Elon Musk is going to go into the space 
smash gold is going to rain <laughs> plentiful like sand. That can't happen. What the f***? Okay, so to be clear, this creates some pretty epic meme fodder. Portnoy just the next day posted a video, a redone video from Armageddon of the astronauts getting ready to go try to blow up the asteroid that was hurtling towards Earth in that movie, but with his face and the Winklevoss's face and Elon Musk's face on the astronauts. So I'm not denying that there is some pretty good meme potential here. But I also think it brings up a question of how well we're able to explain the benefits of Bitcoin compared to other types of money and compared to other sort of safe haven types of money like gold. For that reason, I thought it would be fun to pull up an older article. This is from August of 2019, so about a year ago. It's from a series called Projection and Throneness, and basically, I'll just read the introduction to the series to give you a sense of it. TLDR, this is a multi-part series about the many ways in which Bitcoin is such a unique, interdisciplinary, and intertemporal technology. The third part touches on an overlooked advantage of Bitcoin over traditional forms of commodity money, including gold. So this piece we're reading today is part three of Projection and Throneness, Bitcoin's 10x advantage over gold might not lie where you think. The long and winding road from metallic coins to paper banknotes. Contrary to what some think, fiat money was not implemented suddenly in 1971 when Nixon closed the gold window, or in 1974 when the IMF changed the SDR composition from gold to a basket of fiat currencies. Jim Rickards showed in his book The Road to Ruin that the classical gold standard was actually killed in stages, starting with the Austro-Hungarian ultimatum to Serbia and the outbreak of World War I in 1914. The next five paragraphs summarize his argument. Right after the start of World War I, nations were aware that gold reserves were a determinant factor of victory and suspended redemptions in specie. The two exceptions for different reasons were the US and the UK. However, that's exactly when gold coin circulations were replaced by 400-ounce bars, the gold delivery standard until today. This change gradually disincentivized people to hold and transact money in specie. A 400-ounce gold bar today is worth about $500,000, and to use banknotes instead. With the end of World War I in 1918, the new habit of holding banknotes instead of gold coins was ingrained not only in the UK but throughout Europe, and increasingly in the US. Gold could still be privately owned, but it was buried out of sight and out of mind. Another major boost to monetary-based centralization was FDR's famous 1934 Order 6102 that required U.S. citizens to surrender private gold to the government. Fort Knox was built three years later. In stages between 1914 and 1934, U.S. gold went from private hands to bank hands to central banks to the treasury. This paralleled the process that took place in the United Kingdom and other developed economies. Governments made gold disappear. At the outbreak of World War II, gold convertibility, to the extent that remained, was again suspended. The only major gold dealer at that point was the Bank for International Settlements. The BIS acted as a broker of Nazi gold, including gold taken from Jews and other Holocaust victims. By the end of World War II, gold did not circulate as currency anymore. The Bretton Woods Agreement of 1944 introduced the gold exchange standard, meaning it applied to nation-states but not to its citizens. It should be clear by now that it was only a matter of time until the implementation of a full fiat monetary system, which came in 1971 when Nixon closed the gold window. The growing influence of Milton Friedman and his idea of elastic money as a remedy that could have avoided the Great Depression provided the intellectual justification politicians needed for the implementation of the monetary system we have had until today. 
What's going on, guys? I'm excited to share that one of this month's breakdown sponsors is Crypto.com. Crypto.com offers one of the most cost-efficient ways to purchase crypto out there, as they've just waived the 3.5% credit card fee for all crypto purchases. What's more, with Crypto.com's MCO Visa card, you can get up to 10% back on things like food and grocery shopping. When you buy gift cards with the Crypto.com app, you can get up to 20% back. Download the Crypto.com app today and enjoy these offers until the end of September. Bitstamp is the original global cryptocurrency exchange. Since 2011, Bitstamp has been the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors. Trusted by over 4 million customers, including top financial institutions. Bitstamp is built on professional-grade trading technology. Their platform is powered by a NASDAQ matching engine, and their APIs are recognized as the best in the industry. Download the Bitstamp app from the App Store or Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to learn more and start trading today. That's bitstamp.net slash pro. In this crisis, many investors aim to keep and grow their digital assets. Others seek to maximize the yield on their cash. Nexo allows you to achieve exactly these two goals. The company offers instant crypto credit lines against all major cryptocurrencies, with interest rates starting from only 5.9% APR. Nexo also lets you earn up to 10% annually on your fiat and digital assets. What's more, interest is paid out daily, and you can add or withdraw funds at any time. Get started at nexo.io. Demonetization of Silver Revisited Your Guido Huzman went a step further and also analyzed the process of demonetization of silver under the perspective of monetary-based centralization in his monumental The Ethics of Money Production. Many Bitcoiners believe that gold won the battle against silver due to its higher stock-to-flow ratio. According to Hulsman, this view is misguided. There is plenty of evidence that the demonetization of silver was not a free market process, but one heavily engineered by governments. Mises seemed to be more or less in accord with this view when he discussed the matter in his theory of money and credit. And while some thus regarded gold as nothing less than the embodiment of the very principle of evil, all the more enthusiastically did the other exalt the glistering yellow metal which aligned was worthy to be the money of right and mighty nations. It did not seem as if men were disputing about the distribution of economic goods. Rather, it was as if the precious metals were contending among themselves and against paper for the lordship of the market. All the same, it would be difficult to claim that these Olympic struggles were engendered by anything but the question of altering the purchasing power of money. Here I'll summarize Hulsman's argument. Until the 1860s, only the US and some major parts of the UK empire had been on what we today call the classical gold standard. Things changed with the German victory in the Franco-Prussian War of 1870-1871. Germany obtained an indemnity in gold and used that to institute a monetary policy similar to Britain's. The Prussian Central Bank, later rebranded the Reichsbank in a marketing coup, was instituted four years later. Why did the Germans institute a gold standard and not a silver standard or the bimetallic systems that were floating around? One factor is that gold had better externalities. Britain, the world's financial center, was on gold, and the major silver countries, Austria and Russia, had suspended silver payments at the time of German victory. Gold at that time provided more advantages from an international division of labor standpoint. But Hulsman points out to another reason as well. Moreover, one should not neglect that silver, the only serious competitor for gold among the commodity monies, has one grave disadvantage from the point of view of a government bent on inflationary finance. Because of its bulkiness, the use of silver entails higher transportation costs, which make it less suitable than gold for fractional reserve banks trying to quash systematic bank runs through cooperation. Virtually all Western countries followed suit. 
By the early 1880s, all countries of the West and their colonies had adopted the British monetary model. The silver lining of the classical gold standard was that it demonstrated how a world monetary system can emerge without central coordination. There was no conference, no treaty. The countries adopted it independently of each other. However, this was done at the discretion of national governments, not at its citizens. The classical gold standard was brought by the coercive elimination of the alternative monies and it paved the way for government interventions in the monetary system. It ignited the age of national central banks and private fractional reserve banks taking control of the monetary system. This does not look like a bulwark for the liberty movement. We have to stress these facts because many advocates of the free market believe the classical gold standard was something like the paradise of monetary systems. This reputation is undeserved. The classical gold standard differed only in degree, not in essence, from its successors, all of which have been widely and deservedly criticized in the literature on our subject. In sum, Hulsman states that the lethal hit that World War I brought to the classical gold standard only anticipated its death from its own cancer. This is not a silver bug argument, but an argument against coercive centralization of the monetary base. Earlier in this same book, Hulsman defines what fiat money is one that artificially circulates more than the unhampered market would set. This definition also applies to gold in the classical gold standard. Bitcoin's 10x improvement over gold might not lie where you think it does. So now we understand that the institution of the fiat system was just the culmination of a process that was going on for about 100 years before Nixon's order in 1971. Citizens were coerced to trade silver coins for gold coins, then gold coins for gold bars stored in private banks, and finally to gold bars stored with the government. Without this fiat money would be a lot harder, maybe even impossible, to implement. How was this process so swiftly accepted by the population? In my opinion, the centralization of the monetary base that led people to trade in IOUs, instead of in specie, actually brought some advantages to commerce and trade. As Nick Sabo points out, metallic money is hard to assay validate and is also relatively hard to transport. As economic activity expands with respect to the number of transactions and to geographical footprint, dealing with physical money becomes impractical. IOUs were a boon to commerce and trade from this standpoint, despite all the additional trust it required and all the monetary base centralization it entailed. Metallic money does not scale well in response to more commerce and trade activity. Fiat money actually beats gold there. Bitcoin fixes this. Bitcoin makes the cost of transportation and validation negligible without adding any counterparty risk to the system. This monetary evolution cannot be overstated. At this point, I also hope that the importance of these properties for a sustainable sound money in the internet age is clear. Metallic money did not survive the age of globalization in nation-states because it did not scale well. Bitcoin optimizes for that while still sustaining the highest stock-to-flow ratio of any monetary asset. That's its 10x improvement right there. Bitcoin's harder monetary policy compared to gold is usually cited as the main factor that will make it succeed. This is certainly an advantage and a precondition for it to be sound money in the first place. However, the question of whether this improvement is enough for Bitcoin to leapfrog gold's massive Lindy effect is a valid one that has been bothering me for a while. Answering this with the possibility of gold mining in space might be a bit far-fetched at this point. The catalyst for Bitcoin's extremely high stock-to-flow ratio is how well it scales with commerce and trade activity.